A reading from the Gospel according to John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are the teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. The word of the Lord. Friends, have you ever noticed how God always seems to be working in ways that we do not see, but working to place certain people into our lives or particularly events and experiences or just all kinds of stuff that says incredible things to you? Well, God has done that for today. I chose weeks and weeks and weeks ago, a long time ago, to speak about Jesus as a rabbi, as a great teacher today. And I didn't know that God was arranging to have a rabbi, a great teacher in our presence today. Maybe not a rabbi. <laughs> we are working our way through some of the most important and frequently used titles or descriptions or pictures of Jesus. We think Jesus is incredibly important, and we want to get to know Jesus as well as we possibly can in this lifetime for two reasons. One, because knowing Jesus changes this life, and two, I plan, I hope you plan, to meet Jesus someday, and I'd like to recognize him when he shows up. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so let's think a little about this title of rabbi. John tells us in several places, we read two of them, that when people came to Jesus, often they would call him rabbi. Nathaniel does that when he is introduced to Jesus by Philip. Nathaniel doesn't really know anything at all about Jesus other than what Philip has just told him, but still Nathaniel says, Rabbi. Nicodemus has been paying attention to some of the things Jesus has been doing and saying, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus for a private conversation and even Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi. 
Now, in today's modern world, you and I know rabbis as essentially the ministers or leaders of their congregations. A rabbi today is something of a professional position, if you will. You go through training, you go through education, you go through certification to become a rabbi in a congregation, much like ministers would in the Christian church. In Jesus' day, however, that kind of rabbi, that way of being a rabbi, did not exist. It developed many years later. We need to know about the kinds of rabbis that existed in Jesus' day because so many people called him rabbi. What did they mean? What were they saying to Jesus? What were they saying about Jesus? Even what were they saying about themselves when they addressed him as rabbi? And so let's have a little history lesson. In Jesus' day, the term rabbi was a term of great respect. You remember, there are days past where people used to respect each other. Great respect. The word literally meant great one. If you translated it very literally, it meant great one. Long before Wayne Gretzky. There are more hockey fans in this service than at the nine o'clock service, yeah. <laughs> when you called someone rabbi, you were giving them respect, you were giving them honor, you were saying to them that there was something great about them. Well, what would be so great? A less literal translation perhaps, but maybe more accurate today would be to call a rabbi a teacher, a master. Someone who had something to impart that was important to know, important to learn. Now, let's remember that rabbis and priests were two different things. Sometimes I think in our minds we equate them. But in the first century, they were very different people with very different roles. To be a priest, you had to be a descendant from Aaron, from Moses' brother. You had to be born into the priesthood. You didn't just get to volunteer and say, hey, I think it'd be cool to be a priest. That wasn't the way it worked. So where did rabbis actually come from? Rabbis were lay people, ordinary, average, everyday people in their local synagogues, their local Jewish communities, who by virtue of their particular interest and aptitude in studying the scriptures and in learning the tradition and history and theology and practice of the Jewish people, they became, shall we say, more expert in all of those things. And eventually the community would sort of validate their presence and validate their mastery over their subject as students would come to them to learn. You see, if you were particularly a younger person or a person who still had questions, which should be all of us, and you wanted to know something about the meaning of life and the application of your life so that you might be blessed by it, you would seek out a rabbi. You would ask around. You would go online and type in rabbi. 
and you'd find a rabbi, and you would go to that rabbi, that local teacher and leader, and say, I would like to be your student. The rabbi had the option of accepting you as a student or not. I was going to say that for some of you, you probably never would have been accepted as a student by a rabbi, but, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Right? The rabbi probably would have a conversation with a student and say, are you serious about learning? Are you going to do as my disciples are expected to do? Will you live close by or maybe even live with me for a time? Will you agree to study the things that I encourage you to study and engage in the deep conversations that we need to have? Will you observe my way of life and, and begin to emulate and follow that way of life? That's what a rabbi did and that's what disciples did was learn not just book knowledge, not just information about God, but a way of life that put you in a place where you were following God. Rabbis expected you to believe them and to obey them and to imitate them. Now, rabbis were expert, as I mentioned, in the scriptures. Of course, what you and I would think of as the Old Testament or some version thereof. They studied the scriptures. They read the scriptures. They also were experts in the oral tradition in the history of the Jewish people, and especially the history of the interpretation of Scripture. Every rabbi worth his salt, I almost said his or her, there was no such thing as a her at that point in time. Every rabbi worth his salt would know what other rabbis, going back centuries, had said, what they had taught, what they had modeled. And part of the rabbi's job was to teach you all of that, what we call oral tradition. Some of that oral tradition was eventually written down, but mostly it was passed from one generation to the next. The rabbi's job, really, the rabbi's place in the society of God's people, in the community of God's people, was to teach God's people what they had learned over the centuries in their relationship with God, starting with Abraham and then walking all the way down. Their job was to help new generations of people learn about what it meant to be in a successful and productive relationship with the God who is the source of life, a holy thing, a blessed thing, a very good thing. Now, in most respects, we know that Jesus was just like all the other rabbis of his day. Jesus was not of a priestly tribe. He would not have been allowed to be a priest, even though later the church would say he is beyond even the great high priest. He is the priest par excellence. He's the prophet par excellence. Jesus grew up as an ordinary, everyday kind of guy working in his dad's wood shop. But clearly Jesus had an aptitude for learning the scriptures. The church later on would say Jesus learned the scriptures because he wrote the scriptures. We'll save that conversation for another day. Jesus was like a rabbi in his day. Jesus lived and worked and taught in the synagogue. He read the scriptures. We have instances reported by Luke especially where Jesus goes to the synagogue to read the scriptures, to talk about the scriptures. Got himself into trouble. That's also another story. I hope you come back to hear those stories sometime. 
Jesus was like a rabbi of his day, but. Now, lots of you have been listening to me for a long time, and you know that but is one of my favorite theological words. Amen. Amen. That's another one of my favorite theological words. That word but, so much of the story of Scripture is about but. God created the world and humanity set about the business of destroying it, but God did something about it. God created a people, and they ended up being enslaved in Egypt, but God did something about it. You see what I mean? Jesus was just like every other rabbi of his day, except he was not. And in those ways where Jesus was the exception, we have a lot to learn. First of all, I said to you that all the rabbis of Jesus' day learned their theology, they learned their scripture, they learned the tradition and history and application and rules and regulations and culture of the people from other folks. And when a rabbi would teach, very traditional rab rabbinical teaching of that day would be to say, we have read such and such scripture. And Rabbi so-and-so from this century and Rabbi so-and-so from that century has said such-and-such such about this scripture. And so therefore we learn these things from them. But that's not the way that Rabbi Jesus taught. I think the best example of Jesus' teaching comes to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll remember that in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus would often begin a particular portion of his teaching by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. We have reports in the Gospels of how people would say about Jesus, we have never heard a teacher like this. He teaches with an authority like no one else teaches. He teaches in a way, if we fill in that statement a little bit, he teaches in a way that reveals truth to us like we've never heard before, a way that helps us understand things about ourselves and about God and about our faith like we've never heard before. The church later would come to understand that Jesus was God and Jesus is God himself teaching us and God doesn't need to cite anybody else as authority for what God has to say. I've been picking on Wagia. You didn't know that was going to happen, but you know, scholars, there are many other scholars among us, you know. Scholars learn that when you get ready to write something or you get ready to argue something to prove a point that one of the best ways you can do that is by finding a whole lot of other people who agree with you and listing them as citations in your written material or referring to them as you're speaking, right? It's one of the most time-consuming picky little useless things that you can do when you're writing is to go back and find where that was that so-and-so said such-and-such -and, -such and put it in the exact correct form so that you won't get marked down for it. You see, I've written a dissertation too. Never again. <laughs> we have to refer to the authority of someone else when we say something, but God don't have to do that. 
God is his own authority. Jesus spoke with authority because he is the authority. Jesus was different from all the other rabbis. There's another way that Jesus was different. And by the way, let me give you a footnote. A lot of this material came from Dr. Mark Roberts, a Presbyterian pastor up the road from us, a ways, one of the great teachers of the faith. Okay, enough for the footnote and the citation. The other way that Jesus is very different from all the other rabbis is that instead of waiting for disciples to come to him and say, Jesus, would you take me on as one of your students? Jesus went to them. Reread that story from John again. Jesus went to Philip. A rabbi in Jesus' day would never do that. It would be beneath them. You're the smart one. You're the brilliant one. You're the intelligent one. Rabbis are a lot like me, don't you think, Juan? Uh, no question about it, right? You're not going to go find your students, but that's exactly what Jesus does. Why? You see, we believe in a God who loves us so much that he comes to us before we even know we need him, sometimes especially when we don't want to admit that we need him. Jesus goes to Philip and says, will you be my disciple? Philip then goes to Nathanael and says, there's a guy here who is teaching us in a way like we've never heard before. We think he is someone very special. And in a sense, Philip extends Jesus' invitation to Nathanael. Nicodemus, Nicodemus is an interesting character. Nicodemus was one of the leaders of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, their equivalent of the Senate. He was a Pharisee, one of the most educated, one of the most respected, one of the most fine, upstanding citizens of his whole culture. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. There are lots of ways that Jesus comes to us and that we come to Jesus, but God is the one who first took the initiative to come to us and say, follow me. In those two ways, Jesus is a very, very different sort of rabbi. But we can't talk about Jesus only because you couldn't be a rabbi unless you had students. Think about that. One of my nightmares that I still occasionally have is that someday I'm going to show up for church on Sunday morning and nobody else is going to be here. I, do you have that nightmare? No. <laughs> Being a teacher with no students would be like preaching to empty pews. Being a teacher with no students would be like being a conductor with no choir. Right? So let's talk about the students for a minute. Let's talk about Phil and Nate and Nick. I think it helps us sometimes to get rid of all the religiosity that we kind of pack into scriptures. That's who we're talking about, Phil and Nate and Nick. 
What went on with them? Well, Phil said yes to Jesus. Yes, I'll follow you. Nate said yes to Jesus after he got to meet Jesus because Philip introduced him to Jesus. Nick, Nick's an interesting character. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an important, powerful, very likely wealthy, certainly respected man. He was the kind of person that you meet a lot around here. And so we think that he went at night because he didn't want to be seen. He didn't want folks to know. Maybe he couldn't even admit it to himself. But he came to Jesus to ask some questions. You and I can learn a lot from Phil and Nate and Nick. They were open to learning something new about God. I love it when I meet folks who find out that I'm a minister and the reactions go all over the place. Sometimes they find out that I'm a minister and then they say, ooh, I shouldn't have said what I just said. <laughs> I laugh inside. I shouldn't, but I do. Sometimes they find out I'm a minister and, and they want to ask me theological questions. Great. Sometimes they find out I'm a minister and the first thing they say is, you know, I already believe what I believe meaning don't try to change my mind. Phil and Nate and Nick were open-minded. They were open to learning something new about God. And they were not afraid to ask their questions. One of my favorite conversations with people is when they say, you know, I was taught that you shouldn't question your faith. And I say right back at them that I was taught that I should question my faith. I should question everything because God is up to the answer. One of my favorite teachers of all time, a guy named Lyle Schaller, walked into a room full of ministers dressed in our sport coats and our suits and our ties and looking very official. This was about 600 years ago. And, and he walked into the room and he had on a t-shirt. On the front of the t-shirt it said, Question Authority. And on the back it said, when authority answers, listen. <laughs> he was the authority in that room. You can ask God any question. You should ask God every question and God can answer. Now we like to think that Phil and Nate and Nick, and especially Nick, were not too proud too certain and set in their ways to listen to the answers. Philip, of course, became a disciple of Jesus, in some sense one of the founders of the church. Nathaniel, scholars believe, went by a different name, actually. Nathaniel was kind of like a, a familiar name or a name that was used only of the locals, that the locals would use for him. Uh, Nathaniel was actually Bartholomew, whom you know as a disciple. Nicodemus, what was Nicodemus' answer? We have the rest of the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, all for the purpose of giving us a quote that we could put on placards to display at football games, right? John 3, 16. Did Nicodemus believe what Jesus said? Did he obey what Jesus said? Did it change his life? Well, we have two clues about that. 
We're never told explicitly that Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus. What we do know is that later on, when Jesus was hauled before the Sanhedrin, of which Nicodemus was a member, and he was being tried and then ultimately convicted, that Nicodemus stood up and defended him. We also know that Nicodemus was one of the two, Joseph of Arimathea being the other, who when Jesus' body finally was dead, hanging on the cross, they took it down and prepared it for burial. You cannot tell me that Nicodemus was not a believer. So there we have some lessons from Phil and Nate and Nick about how you respond to a rabbi, not just any rabbi, but the rabbi, the teacher who is God. I wanted to talk about this title for Jesus because you and I, by virtue of our being here, in some sense have said to Jesus, we will agree, we will accept, we will be your disciples. But I always wonder sometimes, about myself especially, whether or not I paid enough attention to Jesus. Here is God, God's self who has bothered to take the time and the energy to come and teach us about the most important things. Do I listen hard enough? Do I spend enough time with Jesus, learning from what Jesus had to say, learning from what Jesus did, learning from the continuing presence of Jesus, which is what the Holy Spirit is? I've said before, a rabbi is nothing without disciples, and so I thank God for those disciples from generations past, beginning with Phil and Nate and probably even Nick, who listened, who obeyed, and then who taught others about Jesus. That's all any of us are. Those with PhDs or those with no formal education. Anyone who knows Jesus has a responsibility and a privilege to teach others. It's important, friends, because we do need to remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus as Nicodemus asked his questions. What's this all about, Nicodemus said. And the rabbi Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, or you might say whoever believes him and follows him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's an important thing to learn. Amen.